0: Hey, welcome to Progression: Success in the Music Industry. I'm your host, Travis Ferentz, and this is episode number 76. Great interview today. I sat down with booking agent, music entrepreneur, and habit coach, Esther Calloway. We did a range of stuff, such as what makes a brand and artist a good match, being intentional with your data, routing a successful tour, running your music career like a business, and how to build better habits. This is the last episode before the fourth quarter of 2022 begins, so I thought this might be a good day to throw a challenge out there. In the past, when I've worked with coaches on my business and my mindsets, all of our work revolved around sprints. We'd identify a goal and focus all of our energy into hitting that target over a set period of time, a few months generally. Nothing new or groundbreaking about this. This is something that happens in plenty of industries. And in one sense, music industry professionals are familiar with sprinting towards something because we're usually all working with some form of deadline. But we're generally not setting that deadline, and it almost never revolves around our own career. Think about it. You're a mixing or recording engineer or producer. Jobs come to you. They have specific turnaround times. You meet those deadlines and then you wait for the next job. Sure, there's a chance you just worked on a record that could change the trajectory of your career, but it's not likely. Even if it's a big artist, it doesn't always necessarily guarantee success. You still need to follow that record up with more great records. You need to leverage that momentum into more momentum. And that is not easy. The problem is, if you're constantly working to meet other people's deadlines, then you're leaving your career mostly up to chance. And a lot of us are doing this. We're focusing all of our energy on servicing others and expecting that to launch us into success. But in fact, I think this might be the single most detrimental thing you could do for your career. It's kind of like the equivalent of the build it and they will come attitude. This idea that your career is happening to you and that everything is coming to you and that's the way it is. Take it or leave it. So, I wanna pause because I wanna be careful not to let this turn into a rant about getting more clients because that's not where I want it to go. I just wanted to highlight this idea of your career happening to you. So we're gonna jump off this example and we're gonna to get to the point of this. The only way to control the trajectory of your career is to take action on it. And sure, you could be listening to this, you could be very satisfied, you could be making a six-figure income, and you can feel like this isn't for you. But I guarantee that there is something in your life that you can apply this to if you give it a little thought. So here's my challenge. Take some time this week to brainstorm what you can do that will actively move your career forward. Something that isn't part of your day-to-day service to clients. Remember, this has to be something that benefits you. And depending on where you are in your career, this could be a wide range of things. Maybe you want to learn a new technique like mixing in Atmos, or you feel like you could understand saturation better. Or maybe you want to rebuild all your production templates and make new presets. Maybe you're already a great engineer or producer, but you aren't working as much as you'd like, so you want to build your network. Hell, maybe you just want to restructure your finances and create a business plan for yourself. Whatever it is, there is something that you can do to take the reins of your career and steer it where you want to go. So once you identify that, your goal is to sprint towards that for the last quarter of this year. Focus all of your energy on whatever it is that you've decided to do. Try to meet this three-month deadline with the same drive and commitment that you bring to your clients' deadlines. And if you take this challenge seriously and you do the work to try to hit whatever goal you set for yourself, I promise that you'll feel amazing and you'll be super pumped and ready to hit the ground running for 2023. So if you're doing a sprint, hit me up, let me know what you're doing or share it on socials and tag me. Let's bring that level of public accountability to it all and uh, let's finish the year out strong. Today's guest is booking agent, entrepreneur, author, and habit coach, Esther Calloway. Currently, Esther is an artist booking operations manager for So Far Sounds, as well as the founder of her own booking and talent buying agency, E. Calloway Management. She's an active member of the Recording Academy Texas chapter and a business leader in the Dallas area, so wide range of stuff to get into today. Welcome to the show, Esther Calloway. Hey, Esther, how are you? Hey, Travis. I'm excited to be
1: here, man. I'm doing great. Down here in Dallas.
0: Nice. Good weather today. I was going to ask. I've only been to Dallas once. Oh. And some of the streetlights are sideways. What's up with that? <laughs> it depends on what neighborhood you're in. You know what I'm talking about? They like they hang sideways? They do. They do. I, I don't good. know. I was just driving cross-country. All I know is I, I went through two or three red lights and almost got hit by a train. So I'm, oh, God. It was a nice city, but it's a little, little dangerous if you uh, don't know.
1: <laughs> oh, Travis, don't do my city like that. This is home. I love Dallas. Born and raised. <laughs>
0: I, I had an excellent time while I was there. I will say that. So, but safety first when you're driving out there, people. Absolutely. It's <laughs> so I'm familiar with so far, and I've been to a few shows. But there's probably a chunk of our audience that is unfamiliar with so far sounds. Before we like kind of dig into your whole story, yeah. Do you want to lay out the so far shows vibe for people?
1: Of course. Well, just I guess a little backstory about so far. You know, we started about 10 years ago. Um, It actually originally started in London. One of our owners, Ray, just decided to create a space in his home and his loft in London to just engage with his friends and hang out and also be able to really tune in to the music. I think that's what it really was about. You know, we've all been to concerts and you're not able to hear, you're not able to pay attention, you really can't hear the artist performing. And so this was a great opportunity for him to kind of like create something that was really intimate. And from that moment, It is literally just kind of spread across the globe. We're in about 300 plus cities around, you know, around the world. So you can travel and go visit a SOFAR show, but it really is an intimate vibe. So think, you know, hosting it in a museum or a library or someone's living room. And, you know, the focus is to really come in and discover new talent and really be able to tune in and really enjoy music on another level. So that's really the environment of SOFAR. Just think intimate space. You know, we don't really have anything more than a 200 cap space that we're booking our events and shows in a minimum of 50. So it really is a small audience. It really is an audience of music discoverers and lovers that just want to come in and hear new talent.
0: That's amazing. That's my experience. I went to uh, a couple shows in Los Angeles that uh, a guy was working for. He he hosted a few around a pool, you know, probably like 100 people. It is really about the artist, which I think is amazing. So many venues are not really about the artist. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Especially in the industry right now, right? It's just so much, you know, everyone wants to perform at the big arenas and the big spaces and, you know, 3,000 cap rooms. And it kind of loses the magic in that. And so, you know, so far it's really about bringing the magic back to music.
0: That's what I experienced. It's intimate, which I think is something that was lost. And the uh, quick tangent, Yeah. Um, how was so far during COVID? Obviously, there were probably not a lot of shows. Is it coming back strong? What's the new, new era look like?
1: It was definitely rough. You know, we had to cancel about 1,500 shows when we went down for COVID across the globe. And so, you know, it was wow. really a testament to the power of our community and really still supporting us through that. And so as a company, we had to pivot in so many different ways. We really picked up, you know, the streaming side of things. And so we started doing digital concerts and started providing opportunities for organizations and companies to, you know, bring a digital so far show to their Zoom rooms and things like that. And it really helped sustain us, but mainly just the support of Our artist community, you know, we were able to really give out, you know, even even help artists with giving them grants and things like that while we were down during COVID, just to ensure that we were helping them survive during this, right? Because as a company, we are artists first. And so without the artists being able to maintain their lifestyle and being able to survive during that downtime, that was really important for us. So we wanted to be sure to support them as much as possible. But yeah, it was tough. You know, we were down for almost a year. We started relaunching shows last maybe June or July. And so, but since then we are, you know, we're rolling, Travis. Like you got to come back to a show. It's good. Most of our shows are still active. We still have a few markets that are not back online yet, but that is all coming and rolling out by the end of this year. So we're very excited to be back with the community.
0: That's awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear, I'm sure, I mean, that was a really tough time for, all musicians you know live engineers even studio engineers it was just like that was a rough time so i'm glad that things are coming back now i had a question that just popped into my mind about uh so far cities i always think of them as like the like the large hubs how does so far pick a city or how do you get started in a city like if you're in a smaller town like is it possible to start a so far thing in that town
1: yeah it absolutely is. So we're always looking for people locally that w- are interested in getting involved with so far and kind of creating a team there on the ground. obviously, we're we're in some of like the larger markets. So of course, like New York, l a, Chicago, we're in three cities in in Texas. so Dallas, Austin Houston. for my region, I also cover Denver and Boulder and things like that. But we also have, you know our markets in Nashville that are really led by like a local lead. We also have our amazing curator community. And so that means that that is a local person on the ground that's really kind of, you know, really passionate about the community, really passionate about the music scene there. They're really in tune with the scene and they just want to be a part of, you know, what SOFAR is doing. And so we're always looking for new either curators or also, you know, crew members as well in the local market. So even if you are in a city that already has a SOFAR team there, you can always be a part of that by crew. Um, It's a a part-time position, you know, a paid position, which is great. Or you can also, if you're in a market that so far is not active right now, you can always apply to be a curator as well.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I dig that. Yeah, got options. Yeah, it's great. Um, I wanted to move a little bit into your career and your path because I think there's a lot of things that you have done and do currently that I think our audience is really into. How did you originally get into the music industry? Were you, were you musician when you were younger? Were you just a music fan? How'd you end up here?
1: Yeah. So my dad was a pastor for like 40 years. So I grew up in church. I grew up around music. I am a singer, not like an amazing singer. I do. Okay. Travis, you know, <laughs> I don't have a Grammy award yet, but
0: <laughs> there's still time.
1: It's still time. Exactly. I was singing on like our praise team. Me and my sister started a group a singing group but I what I discovered is that I really enjoy being kind of behind the scenes way more than I enjoy being an actual performer and so one of my good friends uh Gino Eichelhardt, he used to be the musical director for Erica Baidu and so you know she's a Dallas girl and so he was like hey I want you to be my manager and I was like what I have no idea I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never been a manager before. Like, okay. And I was just really passionate about helping my friends. You know, I think that's really how I got started as a manager because I was just like, oh, I want to help. Like you need help with the contract or, or you need help with like, you know, booking this show or whatever the case was. I was just like all hands on deck. And so that's really how I got started In the industry was just literally locally in my market, seeing friends that I was super passionate about. I love their art and I just wanted to help support them.
0: That's awesome. It's always better when it comes from the place of passion. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Yeah, because that's that's where the longevity comes from, right? When you... Because if you don't have the passion, then you're going to stop at some point.
0: True. So true. Because it is... I mean, any career is hard. I mean, music's up there and like got to be in the top 10 of hard careers. So yeah, you got to have the passion. Oh yeah. So I've got a question. I want to get into some more like booking related stuff. But before we do that, I want to define a term because I mean, I can guess what what it would be, but I'd love to not fake my way through the conversation. Uh, Talent buyer, uh, that's, you know, listed as something that you do. What is a talent buyer? I mean, in the world of music?
1: Yeah, so typically a talent buyer is someone that assists either an event or an organization with bringing in talent for their shows. And so when you think of a talent buyer for a festival, right? So think of South by Southwest, right? And so it's a huge festival. They have internal talent buyers that are really going to seek out the talent that they want on that stage for the team. And so whether that is, you know, larger names, Beyonce or Lizzo or whatever the case is, that person is going out, to the booking agent, the manager of the actual artist, and kind of like negotiating a rate. And so they're buying them for this specific event or this specific stage. And so when you think of talent buying, that's pretty much what it is. So, you know, you some people kind of cross-apply with like booking agent and talent buying because it's a very similar, but kind of in two different categories, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. One's more really you're working with the brand or the the concert series to bring artists that they're interested in. And I guess a question that pertains to artist booking shows, what makes an artist and a brand or an event a good fit? It's got to be more than music. It's also got to be just the whole image and the whole package of an artist, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it the brands have to align, you know, when you're thinking about specific companies that are looking for artists to participate in their event or their conference or their festival, Then they really are looking for an artist that aligns with what their passion is and mission is for their brand. And so it could be different across the board. Like. Some festivals are obviously looking for artists at a certain caliber, right? Because at the end of the day, they want to sell tickets. That's what's really important for a festival. And so they want artists that are going to sell tickets. And so it's really important to have like touring data and things like that. And like, what are your streaming numbers? What are your Spotify numbers looking like? How many units are you pushing and moving? When was the last time you was on tour? All of those numbers are really important as well. But when you are kind of like digging into it, you know, we work with brands even internally at Sofar, and they are looking for artists that again, align with what their mission is. And so, you know, it could be a variety of different genres or backgrounds, but they really wanna ensure that this artist understands the mission of the company and how do they present that across the stage.
0: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I had a total tangent. You'll learn very quickly that we just, we go all over the place. You mentioned, you know, a festival obviously wants a big name ticket selling Beyonce, Billie Eilish, whatever it is. Yeah. But then I think about the side stages on some of these like larger festivals that are usually up and coming artists or maybe local bands, depending if it's like a Warped Tour or something. Mm -hmm. How can an artist be considered for these side stages? Because I feel like that's a great opportunity for a lot of people that are on the up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think even on the side stages, ticket sales are still important, right? Like the side stages are reinforcing obviously the larger artists, but at the end of the day, any talent buyer, any festival, they want to know what are you doing in the local market? If you are a local artist, how many shows are you doing locally? What venues are you playing locally? What type of spaces are you able to fill with just your local fans And so, you know, no one is necessarily looking for an artist that has no presence online. They have no followers on their Instagram page. They don't have a single out. You know, they haven't done a show in three years. Like, that doesn't equate to dollars and cents in the industry. (laughs) And so, you know, it's just really important to kind of have, you know, to have a presence, you know, to be able to say, I know that I can sell 400 tickets, right? Even on the side stage, or I can sell 200 tickets. Like they want to know how can I quantify booking you at X amount and being able to pay you some money to perform on my stage. How am I going to get that money back on the back end, right? Through sales, through ticket sales, and so that's really important for indie artists, for independent artists, a local artist. It's like build your presence locally so that when someone does come through even on a tour, and they're looking for a local opener, they're going to look at you, right? Because they're like, oh, this person has a local presence. They're everywhere. They're selling out their shows. Like those are all important things.
0: Yes, you've kind of mentioned it a couple of times. So I, w- I wanna ask, you talk about like knowing basically your data of your shows. Yeah. And I think about like my friends, you know, in college, uh, which was a long time ago, <laughs> probably having no clue how many people were were at some of their shows, even when they were doing really well. What kind of metrics should artists be kind of keeping track of, A, so they know they're growing, mm-hmm. and B, so they can very easily have a one-sheet or a pitch to a manager, etc.?
1: Yeah, um, so a, a couple of different things. So one, from the digital aspect, you definitely need to know what your streaming numbers are. You definitely need to know what markets people are streaming your music in and that's really great about certain platforms, again, like Spotify or Apple Music, you can always pull that data from the back end, and it'll tell you, like, oh, you're blowing up in, you know, Houston, or you're blowing up in in London, or, you know, like, wherever, the the Netherlands, like, you just have no idea. I've actually had artists that I've worked with in the past, I'm like, just do a download of like all your music, show me where you are. And it was a surprise to them as well because they started realizing that people across the country were listening to their music, right? And so that's a really great opportunity to know like, oh, I really need to visit this market because I'm blowing up there. I have a really great listening side, right? So that's one way. And then in the physical, like when you're going to your shows, One, you should always have a merch table. You should always be able to engage with their audience and lead them somewhere to follow you, right? And so saying um, when you're on stage as an artist, hey, make sure that you follow me on Instagram. You can always kind of go back and say, I got 300 followers from this show. You know, that's amazing. Like that's just um, amazing data that I can continue to have and continue to grow from. And then also you can get that information from the actual venue, Like, hey, how many tickets were sold tonight? Especially if you are the primary artist, if you're an opener for someone, then you can still be able to utilize those numbers as reinforcement for your own shows. But you can say like, hey, I was just a a part of this conference or this event or concert at this specific venue and they sold 500 tickets. That can be a part of your touring data, right? So keeping track of that. People use simple things, Travis, like putting it on a spreadsheet, and just keeping track of like every single show that, you, that you've that you done. Like, hey, I had 30 people at this show. I had 60 people at this show. Oh, we filled this show with 100 people and then we came back two months later and now it's 150. Like, you really have to be intentional, especially in the industry with tracking this data. And some artists just don't, they're not interested in it, but it really does make a difference.
0: I agree with you entirely. You, you said spreadsheet and like five people just turned off the podcast. <laughs> Because they're like, spreadsheet, I don't do spreadsheet. (laughs) If you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out Tapping that share button and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. But I don't know what book this was or what interview, but it's one of those things. It's like, you're never going to see improvement if you're not tracking growth, you know? And yeah, yeah, tracking things is nerdy. And I talk about it a lot.
1: Yeah. It's so important, man. I'm telling you, it really is a thing that sets artists apart from one another. So when you think about artists that are doing well in their career, versus the artist that's just like, man, I'm struggling. It's like, let me look at your data. The answer is that they probably don't even know where their data is or what it looks like.
0: It is true. I've actually been watching a lot of things about you just creators in general. Now I have this podcast I'm trying to grow. And there's so many people that just, they swear by the data and the analytics, especially like YouTube people. It's like all they talk about. And uh, it's not fun, but people need to get into it a bit. Mm -hmm. So question no, this is obviously, this is coming from a studio rat that doesn't go out to live music anymore. So it's a lot of people are gonna roll their eyes at this question. 2022, like it's the era of streaming. Like what's a good merch table look like? Like, are you giving out like download cards or like, how are you getting, you you mentioned, you know, knowing that you got like 50 followers from a gig. How should people set up a merch table like that?
1: Oh, it's so many different ways to set up your merch table. First of all, I think you should definitely have something that they're able to purchase on site. Right. So think, you know, of course, everyone loves T-shirts. Everyone loves, you know, hats and beanies and like things like that. Right. So something that's affordable, obviously, for an artist, um, but something that you want your new fans to be able to wear and promote your stuff. So you want them to wear your your band name on their T-shirt randomly in a different city and things like that. So think about the physical aspect as well. But then also think about like QR codes and like ways that they can actually take your music with them, regardless of if you don't have like a physical CD anymore. Because like you said, this is the digital age. And so most people are already on Spotify. They're already on Apple Music. And so making it easier for them to say like, you know, you. I think a, a lot of artists right now are using I can't even think of the name of the link, but it has like all of their sites all on just like one little link, right? So you can scan it to their QR code and it'll bring up like their Apple, their Spotify, like their YouTube, their new music releases, like all of that in just one streamlined site. Things like that is just really great for artists to have and already be able to just immediately connect a fan because they only have like five to 10 seconds to impress someone, right? And so when they come to your merch table, you wanna make it as easy as possible For them to, one, make a purchase, right? Because a lot of artists are, you know, surviving on their merch sales, especially when you think about touring artists. They're really, they're expecting for their merch sales to make a certain amount in order to just make sure that the tour is still able to proceed. And so, you know, you want to make sure that they're able to make a quick sale and you want to make sure that they're able to walk away with their music and become a fan. So get them on your Instagram page, get them to
0: follow you on Spotify and get them to buy a shirt. Amazing. Okay, so I have some other questions that are starting to like stray. But one last question, which you kind of touched on a little bit. Do you have any tips for artists that are booking their first tour or starting to book shows outside their hometown for the first time? Like, are there any best practices for leaving home base?
1: Yeah. So I think what's really great about so far is that artists are able to kind of get out of their local market and be able to do a show in a different area in a different city. And so what I always recommend for artists to do is start within their home state first, before they start to really like expand beyond that actual state because it gets more expensive. Right. And so for instance, so far, if someone is interested in doing the Texas tour we have options in Dallas, Austin, and Houston right now. And so I tell my, um, the artist community that I work with, to, so, hey, let's just start you with within Texas. Let's start you within three markets. So then you get an opportunity to get some experience on the road, but then you also get a lot of learning opportunities, right? So now you know like, oh, how much is going to cost to rent a van? How much is going to cost for lodging? You know, do I know anyone in these other markets that I can like literally sleep on their couch or bring an air mattress? How much is merch going to be and how much do I need to sell every single show in order to bring some money in, right? And so all of these things are really important when an artist is considering a tour, depending on, you know, who that artist is. Maybe they have a larger, expansive reach and they have, you know, music supporters in multiple markets and they know, hey, I can sell out these shows automatically then if that's the case, then still being able to say, how do I route this tour? What areas must I hit? You know, how can I make like a straight line as much as possible and make a full circle to kind of come back to my home city and close out a show in my home city after I've done a run. Right. And so all of those little things like that really make a difference. Um, But again, like most artists just don't know where to start. And I honestly will recommend them like, become a part of the SoFAR community because we can really help you at least get into areas that you may not necessarily have a fan base because we we kind of do a lot of the heavy lifting with filling the room. The artists aren't required to really promote the shows. And so they can, you know, go to Denver and I can put you on a show in Denver and the audience may not even know who you are, but you'll leave with new fans.
0: That is definitely the advantage to something like SoFAR because there's a built-in community of people that are fans of so far shows and they go for the experience that is being curated, not necessarily the artist that's up there. So that's actually an amazing point since you mentioned it, how does an artist get involved with so far and, and what makes them stick out to you all when you're considering artists?
1: Yeah, great question. So we, we obviously have like an application process on our website that an artist can just go submit an application but what we are really looking for is even within the application is a live performance video, right? So because I'm booking for so many different markets and I'm based in Dallas, right? So I obviously can't make it to see every artist in person. What is really important is submitting a video that shows us what your performance will look like in our space. And so we are not here to judge an artist based on whether they're a talented artist or not. It's simply, does your type of music, your style of music, does it fit for our stage? And so that's what I'm brought in to do as a booking manager for the company is to just make that determination. And what I'm looking for is stage presence because obviously Travis, like like you said, you've been to a far show, it's very quiet, right? And so like people are really tuned in and listening to the artist. And so if an artist does not have the right, crowd engagement or a stage presence, then it can kind of fall flat a little bit. Even if that artist is talented, you have to kind of know how to work a stage. And so that's really important. Of course, like the level of musicality for an artist, right? Like how great are you at songwriting if you're doing originals and things like that and you're writing your own music, like how does that translate to our audience? Things like that are really important when we're trying to determine which artists to actually place in our spaces.
0: Amazing. Yeah. So there's obviously a lot of ways that an artist can get out into their community so far being one of them. I was just while you were speaking, thinking of an amazing artist that I just saw in, where was I? Santa Barbara, just playing at a winery. And like, she was amazing. It was like, I haven't seen somebody like, you know, just playing in like a bar or a winery or something that I was like, whoa, like this is yeah top notch. How did you end up here? Do you have tips for artists that are like trying to get out in their community, maybe trying to get some of these other gigs, maybe press kit-esque type suggestions? What what helps people book these gigs?
1: Yeah, I, I think that, again, it, it really is about like connecting with like your local network. So there are always going to be like music lovers on the local level in every market, right? I'm a part of the Recording Academy, Travis. I know you're a part of it as well. That's just a really great, opportunity like if you are a songwriter or an artist like you need to be trying to get become a member or become a part of organizations like that locally that are already attracting a certain caliber of musicianship and artistry because that's where your growth is your growth is in your network and so knowing and understanding like hey you may be at a point where you're like "Ah, I think I need a manager but I don't know you know, where to even go. These are the type of organizations that you would go and start seeking out management or start seeking out, seeking out an agent. Um, Even like from the production side, right? Like if you're looking for a really great engineer, you need to really be connected to the community in order to know like who's top tier, who's really great at what they do versus just, you know, someone that says, oh, I do music too in my basement. Like, uh... I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how that's gonna translate on an album, right? Yeah. So you really want to know like who's who's in your local market. And you only know that by getting involved, like going to networking events, going to concerts, meeting and greeting people, like rubbing shoulders with the right people. That's really what it's all about locally.
0: I agree. The whole community thing and something that you mentioned in there, you know, trying to like build your network with the best people you possibly can is something that I've talked about on the show before where it's like, you like the sum of the five people you hang out with the most. Have you heard that phrase before?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So if you're hanging out with like, you know, we'll use Recording Academy members that are very driven and very successful, and you're like outside that circle, you're going to be inspired to like come up and like be on an even playing field with those people. And it's like, it's a great way to grow and like kind of push yourself just by, you know, basically having friends.
1: (laughs) That's right. Yeah, because those friends should be there to challenge you.
0: I love that. That's a great quote. (laughs) A good friend will be there to challenge you and not just give you the high five. I mean, that's really what we're looking for, right? Is we're looking for the honest feedback when you're an artist, whether it's like a graphic artist or a musical artist, like you can't have everybody around you being like, I like it. It's really nice. You got to have somebody be like, you can beat that. So that's great. I love that. So I wanted to ask one more kind of booking question and then kind of like move out of that as we work our way to the close. Now, I know a lot of people that play in larger bands, you know, whether they talk about it or not, they do corporate gigs, they get paid well. Should artists be open to something like that? Like playing for a brand? Like, I know it feels like sellout-ish, you know, if you're an artist, but it's also a great way to like pay for a chunk of your tour. Like if you know you're going to do a corporate gig in Chicago that's going to pay for the back half of your tour, like why are you not going to do that?
1: Yeah, I actually highly recommend that artists get connected to brands mainly because obviously the budgets are always going to be bigger. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like they just have a whole line item in their budget for entertainment. And it's not, you know, it's going to be much better than what you're probably making at like an open mic. But not only that, but it also helps to reinforce the longevity of your career. Right. And so when you think about, you know, artists that are connected to Nike, or artists that are connected to random stuff like, right? Like a McDonald's com- commercial, like your, your music is playing in the background. All of those things only reinforce and allow you to kind of spread your wings and do even more creativity within your music career. And so it allows you to do more tours. It allows you to pay your band even more money. It allows you to experiment in your sound and not necessarily have to take every single gig that comes across the desk. Just because now you have a little bit of cushion because you're getting paid to do these, you know, these corporate gigs. And then also, you know, like you're, it's fans at the end of the day, you're building fans. And so the people in corporate America love music the same way as independent, you know, entrepreneurs and independent artists and things like that. Like we are all music lovers. I'm in corporate America so far as corporate. But I'm still very passionate about what I do. I'm still considered an entrepreneur as well in my own right. You know, I still get a chance to, like, discover new talent and new music every single day. And that's what excites me about my job. And so, you know, don't necessarily push that away. It's a great example. I was just a talent buyer for a festival here in Dallas called Civilized Fest. And what our focus was was to get sponsorship for the festival because we wanted to make it a free event for the community. And so a lot of artists kind of miss the sponsorship side of things, right? You can literally get your tour sponsored. If you are, you know, if you have the right numbers, if you have the right metrics, if you are really pitching it to the right brand, you can get your equipment sponsored or your backline sponsored or your transportation sponsored. So don't forget about that side of things as well. Like think about this, as a business like your career is a business you're not necessarily just an independent artist you are a CEO of your career and so how do you bring money into your business how are you pitching yourself and so thinking about that side too right pitch yourself to these brands like you can do it like get yourself a pitch deck and you know connect with someone that is familiar with sponsorships and learn and grow from there
0: agree yeah every artist needs to uh really kind of focus a little bit more on the business side because i think it empowers your creativity like you mentioned if if you know that there's money coming in and you don't have to stress about you know having a second job or taking gigs you don't want to play you can focus on your art and not your rent you know so it's totally worth it to quote sell out every once in a while for a little bit of money
1: i don't even want artists to think of it as selling out i want them to think about it as upgrading their business skills <laughs> in their career, right? Like, you know, we have this mindset in the music industry that you got to grind your way to the top and you got to do all of these like super cheap gigs in order to make it big one day. And it's like, no, let's think about strategy. Let's think about what systems that you need to have in place for your business in order for it to function on its own without you having to grind every day. You can't grind your way to the top right? Like true. you have to think about this as a business. It really is a business. So just wanted to encourage artists, independent artists that are listening to this right now, like you can do this the right way. You can do it less stressful. You don't have to like, you know, take every gig that comes your way. Get a business manager, even before you get like a regular manager for your career, get a business manager. Like how can you structure this? Get an LLC, Make sure that you have all of your taxes in, in order. Like things like that are really important for
0: musicians. It's true. And, you know, I say sellout. I don't even know if like that is what people say anymore. I guess it just really dates my like growing up in the 90s. People being like, don't be a sellout. So <laughs> I don't even know if the kids even say that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So moving on from there, uh, you mentioned it earlier that so far moved into like doing a lot of live stuff or sorry, uh, streaming stuff during the pandemic. In this post-COVID, like, extra digital connected world, is there still a place for that stuff? Like, are people still doing online streaming performances? Do you think that they're going to stay because of how convenient they are? Or has it been a strong move away from anybody wanting to do anything online? No,
1: I think that the streaming is going to stay, it's going to be around for a really long time, right? Like, even though we are, quote-unquote, back outside... And, you know, we're going to concerts again and like all that kind of stuff. We just really don't know what the future holds. And I think that having the ability to stream and having the ability to like have all of the tech things that you need in order to be successful in the digital world as well is only an added thing that you're adding to your arsenal as an artist, right? It's just an added benefit that you have now. And so regardless of what comes your way, whether someone says, hey, Um, can you do it virtually or can you do it in person? You can actually say, yeah, we have options to do both. And so I I think that it's still smart for an artist to be able to perform in as many formats as possible. So yeah, I, I don't think that the digital is going anywhere, honestly. I think that it may continue to evolve based on what the need of the economy is and what the need of like the listener is. But yeah, it's not going anywhere. Like you should be prepared to be able to do something on your Zoom or something online as well as in person.
0: I agree. Concert in the metaverse? And any opinion? <laughs> yeah, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I'm nervous about that.
0: Oh gosh. Yeah, yeah. We'll leave that for somebody else. That'll be an interesting world one day, fifteen years from now. We'll see what that looks like. Yeah. So. Last kind of artist-related question. Are there any big mistakes that you see artists make regularly? Is there anything we can help people avoid?
1: For me and what I've seen just, you know, within my line of work is artists really not being prepared for opportunities that come, you know? And so it could be where, you know, they want you to perform at a larger cap space, but maybe you don't have a solid band or maybe you haven't been rehearsing on a consistent basis. And so for me, it's just you know encouraging artists to just be prepared for the things that you really are asking for. Like artists are asking for all the time, like, man, I wanna play on these big stages and I wanna perform at a festival. But then when an opportunity comes and you're not prepared for it, it only sets you back in your career. And so making sure that, you know, just like be prepared for that kind of stuff, be prepared for the growth, be prepared with merch. Like I, I kind of harp on merch a lot because especially in the so far world, a lot of the artists don't necessarily understand the importance of having merch at shows. And so it could literally, you know, make or break that performance opportunity, because if it's already, you know, a certain amount of money that you're making for so far, but then you can make an additional 500 bucks on your merch table like invest in that, like investing yourself as an artist, invest in your brand is really great to like have personalized merch and have an actual logo and things like that versus just being okay performing. you know, like it goes beyond that. like again, thinking on the business side of things, like really encouraging artists to, you know invest in yourself and be prepared for what's
0: to come. Love it, I agree. So hard shift here, yeah. you wrote a book called the 61 day challenge to better habits. I'm a habit nerd. Can we get into that a bit? Where did that come from? Me too. Yeah. Anything you could share with people?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I actually started the 61 day challenge in 2016. And it was just because I felt like I wasn't happy with where my life was. And as I started to kind of dig into where I was and really be able to, you know, discover what was going on, what I realized is that it was all these like tiny habits that I was doing every single day that was making my life a hot mess, you know? <laughs> so like, regardless if that was like what I was eating or not eating, um, what I was doing with my time, like, you know, I was just terrible at time management, terrible at like blocking off my schedule and terrible at like, you know, really, um, accomplishing my to-do list and, and checking things off. And so, When I discovered that, I was like, man, I want to kind of do like a habit fast. I want to do 61 days. And where I got 61 days from is that there was a study at the university, I believe, a college in, in London that did a study. And so they found like the median of when someone like really starts getting a habit that is like consistent for them was about 61 to 66 days. And so I was in November 2015 and I was like, you know what? I just want to do this before the new year starts, and so I only have sixty one days. So I was like, I'm going to do it for sixty one days. Let's see if this sticks. And it it was like I found my sweet spot from that. And so every time I you know feel like oh like even now I'm like you know what I need to start another sixty one day challenge because I just kind of feel myself picking up old habits and things like that. And so it's really important. Like I what we discovered is there are basically five areas of habit building for most people, and so those five areas are relationships health, personal growth, finance, and business. And so one, my suggestion always is to kind of pick one area that you want to focus in on and choose a habit that is quantifiable, like making sure that you can quantify your goal. So for me, when I first started, I was like, oh, I need to do physical activity. And so I just picked 15 minutes a day of physical activity and I was like, I want to set a time. So every day at 12 30 p.m., I'm going to go walking or do some type of physical activity for 15 minutes. So making sure that it's something that you can quantify so that if you're measuring it, then you know if you're successful or not.
0: Well, it goes back to the data tracking you were mentioning before. It's like you have to define what you want to do very specifically. You can't, like I've said this on the show a million times, you can't just say, I want to win a Grammy. Yeah. you need to like define i want to put a record out every year or i want to do a single every 2 months or whatever it is like you have to have some kind of like definable input that you can control and that's the only way to get progress on the other side question for you when you're doing these challenges is it more about removing bad habits or building good habits
1: it is all about building good habits i actually do some coaching as well around habit building and so a lot of people come into the challenge with the idea of I what I wanna stop doing. So I want to stop eating sugar or I'm just using health as an example, or I wanna stop spending so much money or I wanna stop eating out. And so the goal of this challenge is to really focus on what you want to build, right? Because once you start focusing on your building, then the things that you kinda wanna get rid of will eventually you know, find them, themselves out at some point. So we really want to focus on what you can build. What are the healthy habits that you want to focus on building for your life? Because those are the things that's more sustainable. When you focus on what you want to stop, then you kind of have a time limit in that, right? So I want to stop this for sixty-one days. It's like, no, we don't want you to stop at day sixty-one. We want it to be like, oh, okay, this is only the beginning. Because now I'm on today sixty-two, and today a hundred, and today a thousand, and you know. So we want it to be a constant part of your daily living. And so that's the whole part about the habit building. I talked about these three sacred rules. One was like quantifying your goals, but I want to mention the other two really quickly as well for the listeners. The second one is to get an accountability partner. You know, we think that we can do everything on our own and we don't need the help of others, but when building habit and really just trying to build a career and being consistent and growth, you really need the support of an accountability partner to hold, not necessarily hold your hand, but to make sure that you're doing what it is that you say that you're gonna do, right? And so sometimes that can be a mentor, sometimes that can be your friends, your family, but as long as they're kind of on the same path as you, then you need someone that's gonna really hold you accountable. So that's the second sacred rule. And then the third one is, and I think that this is, I would say almost the most important, which is limit your time that you spend around unproductive people. Like if you are trying to take your career to the next level, you can't be around people that are okay sleeping all day. You can't be around people that are okay giving it 10% when you're giving it 100%, right? So you have to limit your time around the people that are not
0: necessarily as passionate and driven as you are. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I wanted to go back to the accountability. It's like just the act of sitting there with your accountability partner and saying, no, I didn't work out this week. Just saying it out loud is the part that sucks the worst. Whether they even respond is like, that's like the gut check where you're like, oh, I didn't do it. And yeah, the third point goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where you're trying to like up your game and surround yourself with people that are going to be better than you that you want to strive to be like, as opposed to, you know, everybody likes to be the best guitarist in their high school, but that's not going to make you a better guitarist because you don't have something to strive for, to beat. Absolutely. Not that I think you should you know, compete with each other and be like, oh, I gotta be a better guitarist. But you know what I mean. So I love that. I'll definitely, I'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can check it out. I'm just a big fan of habits. In that regard, what's the shortest, easiest way to apply that to somebody's music career? They're like, have you worked with musicians in the habit coaching area? Are there, are there things that seem to work the best for musicians and artists?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what I've um, discovered with, specifically like artists, creatives, musicians, is setting aside time every single day to work on your art. Whether that is, I don't care if it's 10 minutes, like the smallest amount of time that you can literally commit to every single day to work on your craft. If that is songwriting, if that is playing an instrument, If that is from the engineering side, like maybe even spending 15 to 20 minutes researching the industry, like what's coming, what's hot right now, you know, in the engineer world, like these are all things that you can do to up your career and up your game. You know, something we discussed earlier, Travis, which was, you know, tracking data, right? Like maybe that is for an artist, like looking at your data every single day for five to 10 minutes, just to understand where you are like from one day to the next. These are all like little small things. I believe that the small, tiny habits really make the largest impact in your life. And so even doing that for 61 days, what you're trying to do is get into this habitual routine of doing it every single day, you know, because that's going to make it sustainable. And also that's going to help you grow your career.
0: Couldn't agree more.
1: Yeah, for me, I did finances because I was like, I... Like, I don't know where my money is going. And so so every single day, I would literally just track my spending. You know, I'm like, okay, let me just track my spending every single day for the next 61 days. And now I'm still tracking my spending. You know, like I even started with making up my bed every single day. And right now my bed is still being made every single day just to kind of get some structure in my life, you know?
0: Totally. I've heard lots of people talk about how like, they started big change in their life by just making their bed every day. It's like you, your surroundings and and tracking your finances. I mean, this is completely a pointless thing to share on the podcast, but my wife and I just went all out on like espresso grinder and makers because I sat down and I was like, this is how much money we're spending on coffee a year. And we were like, oh my God, let's just solve this problem. And you know, you feel like, oh, I'm gonna spend a thousand dollars buying a machine. You're like, yeah, but you're gonna spend more than that if you're going out to get coffee between meetings.
1: I love that, Travis.
0: I love <laughs> it, shit. So last question, um, I saw on your website that you do work with youth, particularly in empowering young women. I'm recently a a girl dad. I have a five-month-old daughter, so I'm all for that. Is there anything you want to share in that world for people?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, congratulations, Travis, on your new baby girl. That's amazing. So my daughter is 17. I literally just dropped her off at college this past weekend. Congrats. And like, I, I've been an emotional roller coaster. It's been an emotional roller coaster for me. But I just love, like, I, you know, I'm a part of a couple of different local organizations that really help empower young women. And for me, it's just so important for women and young girls to understand their worth and their value. We have an organization called Jewels of Promise that uh, I helped found. And so that has just been an amazing opportunity for us to be a part of young girls' experience when they're, you know, like sixth grade. Some of those girls have already graduated high school. One of the girls that was a part of the organization just actually got accepted to Howard University. Um, And so she's going to Howard for her, you know, for the fall. It's just really great to be able to see these young girls thrive And really spread their wings, and for me to be a part of their journey. Like, I was raised with an amazing mom, with an amazing father, but unfortunately, a lot of young girls don't have that experience. You know, some of them are being raised by single parent moms, and I'm a single parent. And so I understand how hard it is, as first of all, a Black woman to be, you know, raising a young Black girl in today's society because. Everything that they're looking at and everything that they see in media is telling them that they should look a certain way, be a certain size, talk a certain way, you know, like have multiple boyfriends and be, you know, all of these type of things. And so I uh, really focus in on just, you know, letting them understand that you are worth more than that, that who you are means so much. And so that you should walk into every room that you're in with confidence and know that you belong there.
0: That's amazing. You remind me of an early guest on this show. It was a long time ago. So I'll bring it up again. Her name is Erin Barra. She's an instructor at um, Arizona. I don't know if you know her, but she has a started a program called Beats by Girls. And, it, mm-hmm. and she said something that I'd never really thought about. And you would probably agree with this. And it's that she was basically, you know, teaching electronic music production to underprivileged girls. And she didn't even care if they did music on the other side. She was basically empowering them to learn something and feel like they can create something. And then hence, when they go out in the world, whether they want to be a stockbroker or a beat maker, they've experienced this empowerment that comes from music. So I think that's actually a really amazing intersection for all of that. So I just wanted to share that with you.
1: Absolutely. That's great. I would definitely want to get connected with her. Sounds
0: amazing. I'm happy to link you guys. If, I don't even know if they have a Dallas chapter. Maybe there's a place for them in Dallas. Amazing. This has been a great conversation. I have two last questions that I end every show with. And so I'll toss them at you now. The first one is, was there a time in your career that you chose to redefine what success meant to you?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that time in my career was transitioning from being a full-time entrepreneur you know, I quit my job. I was working for an insurance company. I quit. I was like, I'm done. I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do full time music. And so I think the shift for me happened when I discovered that I could still do what I love and work in corporate America. And so I'd never even thought about the possibility of having a career in the music industry. I was just like, oh, I'm going to. I'm going to do it all myself. And what I realized is that there were already organizations that already had the structure and the systems to be successful. And so why not work for a company that I'm passionate about? Why not work for a company that allows me to do what I love, still be able to do my own thing, my own entrepreneurial thing as well, because I'm still working with artists. But working for SoFar really helps me as an entrepreneur to even implement things within my business that I see that they're doing as a company and as an organization. So it's just a win win for me. So I think for me, that was really the shift of what success looked like because I thought that success was doing it on my own versus, you know, working for a company that's already doing it.
0: Yeah. Well, it's also, it's like, what's going to make you happier? What's going to work? That's always what it comes down to for me is in the end, the success is defined by how happy you are. So if Mm -hmm. you're more happy having a mix of corporate and entrepreneur, then why not? You know, amazing. And uh, last question before we go is what is your current biggest goal that you have right now? And what is the next smallest step you're going to take to go towards it? And this can be a personal thing or it can be a so far thing, obviously share whatever you're able to share because you work for a corporation. So So my personal
1: goal right now is to get my daughter through college. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I just, I want her to graduate. (laughs) That's good. And so, you know, the small thing that I'm doing every single day to, is to encourage her to always be available for her, to help her with, you know, like her studies and making sure that she's connected with someone at the school that's going to be able to support her there. But yeah, that really is my focus right now. I'm like, she will be the first person to graduate in our like my immediate family because I went to college but I didn't finish, and so you know it, it's just really important for me to continue to kind of support her and push her in the area.
0: That's awesome. I love that. That is an excellent goal, <laughs> Esther. This has been a lot of fun. This has been great. Uh, please share with people information about so far where they can find that or apply uh, anything you want to share about yourself. This is your little moment to throw whatever.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to sofarsounds.com. If you're an artist that is interested in performing, regardless of what market that you're in, we will probably have a show that's somewhere near you um, in a city near you. And so you can definitely go to the site to apply. And then also if you're just interested in working in the industry, if you are interested in being a so far crew member, Uh, We're always hiring for that role. And so please feel free to also go to the website. Also, if you are a host, if you like, hey, I want to host the event in my backyard, please go to the site as well and like share your information with us. We would love to talk more about bringing you into the far community. Travis, thank you so much. This was such a treat to be a part
0: of Progressions Podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This was a pleasure. I really enjoyed this. Me too. So that's it for episode 76. Thanks to Esther Calloway for coming on the show and hanging out with us. Definitely check out her and go to a so far Sound show if you have never been to one. And also thanks to all of you for listening. If you've been enjoying the show, please share it with a friend or drop a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That helps so much, and I appreciate it. Thanks to Stephen Boyd for handling editing duties on this one, as usual. And finally, don't forget to join us over at the Complete Producer Network and get in on the conversations there. So I will see y'all next time.